Hello, wonderful humans. Welcome back to the TFC Audio Project. On this episode of Nerd Talk, my guest is Australian foot nerd Andy Bryant. Andy's a podiatrist from Melbourne, Australia, and he's a wealth of information when it comes to feet. We talk about how he discovered TFC, what got him interested in joining the foot nerd community, and how his practice approach has shifted um, along with some of his keystone daily habits. Andy and I are planning an initial series of four podcasts for a new show called Foot Stuff, where we plan to go deeper into conventional podiatry, how it needs to change, and also talk about how he shifted his practice, um, as well as topics like orthotics and footwear. Andy's a great inspiration for podiatrists looking to shift their practice towards restoring natural foot health. And, you know, I really enjoyed the conversation with Andy and hope you find the content useful in your own life. This episode of the show is brought to you by TFC's global health community called Beam Tribe. The pursuit of health is a team sport, and our mission with Beam Tribe was to create a platform that connects like-minded humans from around the world who value making daily progress on their health journey. The platform is loaded with videos created by our Beam team, uh, where we share our experience when it comes to things like overcoming injuries, creating a daily meditation practice, resolving your back pain, or how to restore an arch if you have flat feet. Head to beamtribe.com and you'll be able to see a bunch of free sample videos that we've made available. And if you want full access, you can join the community and support our team so we can keep creating content as we continue learning. This episode of the show is also sponsored by TFC Shop, your one-stop online store for balance beams, natural footwear, and foot health accessories. If you visit tfc-shop.com, you can check out the growing selection of products that we offer that help you live a more natural life. Last but not least, this episode of the podcast is also brought to you by the Roasters Pack. If you're into coffee, this unique company in Canada offers a great subscription service that delivers you fresh beans to your door each month, along with the story behind the craft roasters that the beans come from. If you check out theroasterspack.com, use the code FOOT at checkout, you'll get seven bucks off your first month. That's it for sponsors. Let's dig into this episode. Hope you enjoy. It's the TFC Audio Project. Hello, wonderful beings. Welcome to another episode of Nerd Talk. And my guest today is Andy Bryant. Andy's a foot nerd. Uh, he's a podiatrist from Melbourne, Australia, and he was kind enough to give us some of his time today to share his story. Um, Andy, thanks for taking the time this morning, or I guess this evening for you, and uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Nick. I'm looking forward to having a chat. Awesome. Uh, so we were just chatting about this, but it sounds like the lockdown has gotten pretty over t- intense over there in Victoria over the past couple of days. Yeah, we've just gone to stage four, which means they shut. How many down. stages are there? <laughs> <laughs> well, they, as soon as they start talking, as soon as they start talking about stage four, um, like going into stage four, they go, "Well, if this doesn't work, there's stage five. <laughs> so, yeah, so they just make um, up more stages. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so um, that means there's a lot of businesses shutting down. Only really essential stuff. New Zealand did something similar and did it really well um, at the start, and we've just had a big. Um, a supposedly big outbreak small compared to other places in the world and um yeah they've just clamped down big time so there's a curfew i actually was going to do this recording from my office but at eight o'clock in the evening i have to be home and, whoa yeah, really yeah. i didn't know that yeah there's an 8 p.m to 5 a.m curfew unless you've got a really good excuse and i and as much as i love talking to you nick i didn't know that um doing this was a really good excuse for being out <laughs> right <laughs> yeah, you might have a tough idea. You might have a tough time explaining that if you come across a cop. Uh, yeah, I'm going to talk about feet with a guy in Canada. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah. yeah, that's a big part of it. And then, yeah, heaps of businesses closing down, which is going to be huge, um, you know, social, economic, yeah, mental health, health issues as well. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's like, 
it's one of those things where if we're only looking at one metric, if we're looking at, um, you know, for example, loss of life is the big metric everyone's using and loss of life, like people die all the time, right? Like yeah. when we get old, we die, this life is impermanent. So you almost mm -hmm. have to clean up the data and see like, what is the surplus of deaths that are happening? But data that doesn't get tracked is like, the amount of people who are going into deep financial suffering, the amount of people who are having serious psychological problems because their life is tilted upside down. Like those seem to just get brushed to the side or not really considered as much. And it's, it's one of those weird things where we're going about this in a very strange way. I, I don't think anyone is right or wrong, but it's weird that there's no conversations being had about how, you know, other places are dealing with it. And, mm -hmm. and yeah, I don't know. And even the whole thing of flu season, because I know that it's flu season, quote unquote, there in Melbourne. It's like the flu virus doesn't get more crazy in a certain month of the year. It's just we lose a lot of the plants and soil capacity to absorb all the shit we're putting in the air. And so we all get more sick. And it's just like, what if we all just rode bikes during flu season? We'd probably be okay. Yeah. And we all sit inside all around together, pass it around, you know, but that whole flu thing's quite interesting. If we were data projecting every day um, and telling us every day in a normal year, how many people were coming down with the flu and how many were dying from it, we'd all be so scared of the flu. Like we'd just be in such fear. We'd be wanting to shut down the city because of the flu. Right. We don't do that. We do it retrospectively. Oh, the flu killed thousands of people last year. Um, or they say it's a bad flu season, but you're not getting this, like everyone waiting on the edge of their seat, how many cases today, how many deaths today on right. the flu. They're just doing it about COVID. And yes, it's a different disease and it's a, a more serious disease. But I think a lot about it is the fear that the, um, the media drive us into yeah. like, hanging on, on every word of how many people are being um, diagnosed. You know, my phone rings depending on whether at work I'm talking about, uh, depending on whether there's low numbers or high numbers, like people come out if there's low numbers and they'd stay in if there's high numbers. It's crazy. Yeah. And even like I was talking to someone the other day, we were talking about car accidents. Like if we put on the news every day, graphic pictures or news 24 seven about the amount of people dying in car accidents, we would all be shit scared of driving cars, but we don't, you're right. We don't do that because it's, you're essentially creating a, a, a false spotlight on something that's, seemingly really dangerous but in actual fact if you compare it to other statistics is like i don't know if we have to be super scared of this we have to be cautious but we should all be focusing on health and you know i haven't heard one thing on the mainstream media about like how you can take care of your immune system how you can be healthy to actually def help your body defend against this it's all about wear a mask stay inside stay away from other people and it's like it seems like it's the wrong messaging um, yeah, yeah, well, it's interesting you should say that because last week, while well, I could still play golf, I just played with a guy I'd never met before. And his job is all about um, analysing car accidents and teaching people to drive properly. And um, he, he'd written an article, but his children said he couldn't send it. It would destroy his business if he did. Um, saying, you know, when, when the first car accident happened and people died, there was outrage. How could you let this happen? We cannot let this happen again. We cannot have car accidents. And this is like, you know, um, 80 years ago or something. Right. We can't let this happen. And then we've just kind of let it happen. And it just becomes normal that thousands of people die every year from car accidents. And he said that if we spent the money we have on COVID, on car accidents, we could clear that up just like that, you know. Um, wow. But it just becomes part of normal. And you could, you could liken that to so many different things, mental health, um, diabetes, heart disease. If people just put it, the energy that we're putting into this um, way of death, it would make huge difference in so many other fields. 
Yep. I completely agree. All right. Now that we've gotten past the, the bleak yeah. stuff, uh, <laughs> let's start with, so Andy, you've never been on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if anyone's still got headphones in. Uh, so you've never been on the podcast before. So maybe let's just start with a gentle intro of who you are, what you love, and you know what gets you out of bed every morning because you're definitely one of my favorite humans to hang around with. And uh, yeah, tell the world who, who is Andy Bryant. Well, thanks, Nick. Um, I am a 43-year-old guy in Melbourne. I'm married to Melissa with two kids who are 11 and 13. Um, nice. I'm, I'm a podiatrist and uh, I've been doing that for like over 20 years now. I like to move, whether that means riding a bike or running or doing some yoga or climbing a tree. It's getting more and more varied as my kids <laughs> get a bit older and, and, and as I get um, more aware of moving in different ways. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, cool. that's that's pretty much it. But I guess um, more recently, I've actually got out of bed, if I have to answer that, for work. Like for the first time in 20 years, I've actually really been motivated with my work. It's like um, I'm often obsessive about something. And at the moment, it's my job, which is really, really inspiring for myself. So it's good. Amazing. And how did you initially... So the first time I met you in person was at the Melbourne Seminar. But when did you come across if you remember when did you come across tfc and what were your initial impressions because i would imagine that a lot of what we you know earlier uh earlier on it was really we were really focused on feet and that was you know now we've sort of branched into um health as a whole but we were doing a lot of stuff about feet and i would imagine that a lot of the stuff we were putting out was counter to what you uh had maybe been taught or maybe been practicing at that time i'm not sure um but what were your initial impressions how did you come across tfc and uh, you know, how has that path gone from then? I think at the time it was probably a relief because I pro probably for a year or two before had been searching for answers as to why I'd been able to rehabilitate my own feet through through yoga and going barefoot. And then um, to be able to find something that kind of packaged it all together in a really sensible um, message and and kept it simple as well because I think a lot of the even the barefoot messages or the minimal shoe messages out there are often trying to sell something or um, there's a, there's a catch or a special insole. Like I just, that, that makes me laugh. The special insoles you need when you're wearing barefoot shoes anyway, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that make the experience so much better. Anyway. Yeah. So I think I'm um, coming across, I would have found TFC on Instagram probably and just thought, Oh wow. Um, I would love that to come to Melbourne. So I think you um, might've said, is anyone in Melbourne, um, got a location for us and I jumped at that opportunity and like I was nervous as well um, probably because it was well out of my comfort zone and um, to be even looking up this stuff like as podiatrists here in Australia it's so out of left field to be looking at barefoot stuff and minimal shoe stuff um, which is crazy to even say that um, <laughs> but, that's the same um, most most places in the world from what I hear yeah. so it's, and so but it is crazy yeah, it almost felt naughty. I was in a business partnership that where the other guys just not interested in this type of stuff at all. And so I was probably feeling like I was, you know, um, doing the wrong thing almost, but um, just really refreshed as well. So, yeah. Um, then obviously went to the seminar or helped you organize the, um, the location for the seminar. And yeah, it was just mind blowing to think, wow, um, there's this other way. And I remember asking you at that seminar, Nick, how do I, bring this into my practice because I must've still been practicing in other ways. I still hadn't worked out how to um, get people across the line or get people like to treat people this way, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Well, hopefully I gave an acceptable answer because I, I probably should have just said, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm just talking about feet. But I think you're right. It is, you know, we actually, it's, it's very cool to see a bigger and bigger community of podiatrists joining the Footner program. Um, even podorthists, people who are even more specialized into just making yeah. orthotics. And uh, it's always the similar thread when I have a conversation with them where they're almost relieved that there's other people like they have this sort of itch that they've sort of ignored because of the training that they've done. And, and actually mostly because of the business model pressure of the way they currently do things. And yeah. the fact that there's a lot of friction, you know, it's kind of like a salmon swimming upstream. If, if you're making a decent salary by swimming downstream, it makes little sense unless you have a deeper purpose to try and swim upstream, which also reduces the amount of money you can make. And yeah. so I think it's, but you're seeing, I'm seeing more and more people come out of the woodwork and say, I'm glad other people think like this. I'm glad there's uh, options. And I think you and me need to do a series like we were talking about a podcast, just talking about how to make that transition because you've, yeah. I think we'll probably save your story um, for another show because we've got a, a bunch of other stuff we can chat about today. But yeah. I think it's very inspiring to hear when someone's led the way and sort of you know, taking the machete and slice through the bush so that you have a kind of a clear path. And, um, you know, is this, is this still something that your colleagues are, you know, I know that your uh, previous business partner was sort of uh, maybe not open to the natural podiatry route, but is, are you seeing any changes in, in the profession or is it still very much traditional uh, style podiatry? Traditionally, um, like there's tr mostly traditional podiatrists on, you know, every corner, but there are a handful of others that are really interested in this. Um, it's a big step to say, I'm not going to prescribe an orthotic there. Like they'll be adding in exercise prescription and footwear advice, right. but they're not. Um, which is good. Yeah, which is good, but they're still um, going with the orthotic as well. And they're not changing the shoes as much as I, as I would advocate for. Like, mm -hmm. um, I think what I learned from Munich is it's okay to say, you know what, this shoe is wrong for you. This is the cause of the problem and or a big part of the problem. And that needs to change. Like I just say it out there, you know, I just put it out there now and people are open to it. They want to be um, helped. And so if someone's giving them the, tr the truth and can explain it, then, um, you know, but I think a lot of other podiatrists are really struggling with that. I have people reach out to me and ask to come and sit in with me. And I, and I find that a bit difficult if they're actually sitting in the same room. So I just would, you know, go for a walk with them or, um, catch nice. up and just um, explain how I, you know, we might go through 10 different cases and just explain how I, it's more about how I educate the person as to why that's happening because it, it comes back to just educating your clients um, to, you know, the, the correct as to why they've got a problem. And then, well, often it's taking the thing, that thing away, which is often their shoes. And, but yeah, most podiatrists are so far from that. It's, and that's because at uni, that's what we're taught. Like, it's a huge step to change. I still wonder, you know, at some point I'm going to get a knock on the door from the association saying you're doing the wrong thing. Uh, yeah. That's all right. We'll create a better association by then. And I think <laughs> you should almost yeah. offer, um, we, should, we should chat about that. Because I think offering like a podiatry, podiatrist mentorship uh, program where yeah. like people can literally compensate you for your time. If you're, if you, you know, I always see, 
I always look at things as how do I maximize my impact, right? Like you can work with people one-on-one. It's very fulfilling. Um, And the beauty beauty about feet and footwear is that it's extremely logical, right? The truth is like, if you understand first principles of physiology, it's not a, a big stretch to say, yeah, when you compress your foot and don't let the joints move, things get stiff and they start to hurt. Like a 10 year old can understand that. So the beauty is that the truth and logic and simple physiological principles are on your side, which makes it a lot easier to explain, right? You don't have to sell some deep system um, to a podiatrist. You just have to say like, do you think this makes sense? Um, And, you know, in terms of maximizing impact, you can work one-on-one. It's great. But if you help the people that are helping people, you have this massive exponential shift in the amount of people you can impact indirectly. And I think, you know, the, the field of natural podiatry, and we could even talk later about what that even means, but that is a blossoming field that I think is going to gain a lot of traction as people start to become more informed, as the average person takes more ownership for their experience and improves their own awareness so that they can take care of themselves. And, um, yeah, I'm pretty stoked to see where that goes because I know Ray McClanahan um, in Portland, he's, he's a podiatrist. It's a bit of a yeah. different program. Like he went, he did a surgical program, I think, but he's the same thing. You know, like we have all these really smart people, yourself, Ray, other podiatrists. And uh, I really think we could spearhead uh, a, a better field in the world of natural foot health that, um, that could really disrupt. I, I really it's funny how the bar is sometimes so low that all you have to do is, you know, blend love community and critical thinking and you can disrupt an entire industry. (laughs) Yeah. So definitely. And and that's happening. I get, um, social media has its um, pitfalls, but I I get a lot of messages from other podiatrists saying, wow, I love what you're doing. I'm really learning a lot. And, um, and yeah, that's a, there's a huge um, need for it. Definitely. Yeah. It makes complete sense. The The whole theory com- makes complete sense and, and appeals to people. So, because yeah, it does make sense. Yeah. And it's almost like it's not really having to learn anything. It's having, it's mostly unlearning. It's mostly yes. unlearning all the things that you've been told to be the truth, which oftentimes you paid a good amount of money to learn. Yeah. Um, and I think people's investment in the information that they learn from, you know, the, the the information gods you know the the university professors which are all well intentioned but the it's, problem is is you know there there's eventually a frame shift it's like a phase shift of going from like a solid to a liquid there's a turning point where there's a significant shift and i think that 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 point's kind of coming where we've made minor changes here and there but when there's a serious thing you know a group of people that just in, intrinsically believe in what they're saying and aren't afraid to say it um, it can, it can really push industries ahead, like exponentially in a short period of time. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty stoked about the future of feet. I would um, hope so, but I still think that there's just so many podiatrists and this university is so stuck in their ways right. um, that it's a, there's a, it's a big, it's a big hill to climb still, but you know, you've got to start somewhere. So yeah. yeah. And it's, it's like the foot in our program. Like you don't, we don't have to try and replace or, or, um, you know, directly disrupt universities you just create a better path for people and eventually people just start getting off one route and going on that one you don't have you just create a new one that makes the old one obsolete instead of trying to fight the old system um so let's talk about the foot foot in program because you were one of the um were you in february 2019 yeah i was yeah yeah Yeah, so you're in the first the first group of foot nerds so what attracted you initially to the program um the foot in program and then 
sort of what value uh, do you get from the community? Because I think everyone finds it for different reasons and gets different things from it, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, so um, I find I wanted to join because I like the idea of this um, communal learning where you're just using the brain power of, you know, over 100 other people that are really smart um, and they're doing their own clinical research, you know, like in the clinic, what, what's working for people. Um, right. they're, com- they're, they're doing all their reading and, and so am I. And we all put it all in together and come up with the best answer. Like that just makes sense to me. You know, this is uh, um, in the field, um, changing what you're doing every day, depending on what you're hearing and what you're testing yourself, basically. So I think that is what really drew me to it. And that is what's going on to some to some level. What I didn't expect was the sense of community and that you're not out on your own um, because you feel, I feel like I've got people who've got my back sort of thing, which is just a feeling. Like when I'm there consulting right. with um, clients, it doesn't matter who, who thinks what I'm saying as well, you know, um, in, you know, on the other side of the world. But it's got that feeling of community where you think, wow, I'm not just out doing this on, on my own. This is, this is real, you know. So I, I, um, I love that sense of community as well. And that's the bit that I didn't expect. Interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's another, to, to be quite frank, neither did I. I was just like, can we have this central database that we all contribute to and all, you know, like the diversity and perspectives that we have from different professionals um, and even people that are non-professionals, just giving their input on their lived experience. That is actually the mm. immune system that makes sure we never get biased or stuck in a way of thinking because everyone's constantly challenging the way we think. And I think that is extremely powerful. And, and you know, one of the m- most significant things about the community is that everyone is open-minded and everyone is respectful in, in because ha- sometimes we disagree. I disagree with people yeah. in the community all the time, but it's done in such a way that we're trying to find the point of disagreement instead of just trying to continue finding ways to disagree. Yeah. And, and that is actually, I think, one of the most potent ways to put this hive mind mentality where there's a bunch of people contributing knowledge and working out, you know, okay, let's put all of our perspectives in a blender and let's see what we come up with at the end through meaningful dialogue. And, uh, yeah. and that collective intelligence is, it's pretty stunning actually. And I'm, I'm you know, we're actually for 2021, uh, we're going to be, cause one of the problems that I was having trouble solving was how do we truly decentralize um, the sapien code, this, this curriculum of knowledge and, what I've come to and I'm talking to the app team is we're going to turn it into a wiki where there's, you know, there's basically, you know, Wikipedia is not run by any one person or central governing authority. It's essentially yeah. they've created a process for peer review where someone can submit an edit to the content and it has to be agreed upon by a certain amount of people in the community. And then it goes live. And yeah. I really think that's going to be a big tipping point next year. When we turn the sapien code into a wiki, it's just going to be, I think it'll blossom into something that none of us really could have predicted and, uh, and it's going to be pretty fun. So that's a great idea. Yeah. Um, the, the whole community thing. Um, I think that's amongst barefooters, which I never knew of before anyway, like I'll just be walking the dog say, and, um, and there's someone with a pair of vivos on or walking barefoot or, or I'll be running around the local grass athletics track. And there's another 
um, guy running barefoot and you ha have this instant connection. It's like you have some secret power or secret knowledge. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's really I agree. Appealing. And there's this instant connection with these people and you can, you can stop and just chat for, you know, for an hour if you both had the time because you just understand what it means to be barefoot. So I think um, as foot nerds, we at the core are foot people or understand the function of or the benefit of um, naturally functioning feet and and then it just grows from there like you have this instant connection because of that you know you know we did that hike nick um in um in january here in, in melbourne and i we got together 18 people that knew of each other maybe or didn't know each other at all and for three hours there was not a silent moment as everyone just meshed it was just the oh. most amazing experience you know so um, and I think what brought us together was the fact that we were barefoot, you know, and, right. and then so many other levels after that. And we, ha yeah, we had like a sleep scientist, a farmer, some podiatrists, health professionals. <laughs> it was honestly, I'm so grateful that you organized it, Andy, because that was one of the highlights of my Australia trip last year. It was just so incredible. And then we went out to have a bite to eat after. And I think, I think what it is, is when you see someone that's barefoot or wearing natural footwear. I mean, the barefoot people are the real hardcore people. They're the people where you're like, shit, I, have a, I probably have a lot of similarities with this person. Um, and what I find about barefoot is that it's almost like tip of the iceberg, right? Where, okay, we share this thing, which is very obvious, and we kind of connect on a level where it's like we both value spending time barefoot. But then what I found really surprising and refreshing is that when you start to talk to those people, the mindset of valuing time spent barefoot is sort of like this um, indicator of a bigger value set, right? A bigger value set that really encapsulates natural living. And the people that are going barefoot are also often the people who value sleep, who move frequently, who um, like to grow their own food. And I've seen this with the foot nerd community, especially in Melbourne, because that's a really big growing community where there's so many similarities on a way deeper level than anything we selected for in the admission process. But it's just super refreshing to have an amazing group of humans that are, um, that are so that have a similar health mindset on so many different levels. And the, one of the biggest things that I find that I, I just love is like, there's not very many, there's almost no egos that disrupt um, the space, right? Like there's, a, everyone is just, really open-minded everyone is um it's just just wants to learn right everyone comes there with an open mind and you know have you found that in your conversations with people that are barefoot where you share a lot of things in common 100 percent. like they'll be they'll be cold the ones that are doing cold baths and they'll be the ones that are yeah. um you know eating real food and they'll definitely like it's this is common um so many commonalities across the board and, and you're right about the egos. Everyone's there to learn and with a learning attitude and with the respect of, of everyone else. Like I, I know that I catch up with other um, barefooters and I'm just like, what can I learn from this? You know? And, right. and I, and I feel that coming back as well. Like everyone's just got that, that attitude of uh, openness, you know, rather than um, they know it all, you know, yep. which I think a lot of, I know in podiatry, there's a lot of um, ego and, you know, who's got the biggest clinic, who's got the shoe shops and the orthotic labs and, and who's got this, how many people working for them. And, and there's none of that in, in this community. It's just the most amazing, um, you know, down to earth group of people. Yeah. Super refreshing. Yeah. Um, now what about, so the first time, cause you, you are, I think one of the first people in Melbourne in a massive city that uh, purchased balance beams. So let's hear some initial thoughts on like, 
what were your initial perceptions of the balance beam? And, <laughs> and then how have you sort of found it to be, uh, you know, whether it's part of your life or your practice, um, you know, because I still think there's a lot of people that look at it from the outset without really understanding it and are like, I don't get it. It's just a piece of metal. And, you know, if someone says, what does a balance beam do? How, because the way I explain that question or answer that question, I think changes every single week. And I'm still trying to find the sweet spot of like, how do I yeah. make this relatable? Um, so actually, it's a, yeah, yeah. I've, yeah. Got, I've got a beam. I've got, I sit, at the, I sit at my patient's feet a lot of the time, like attending to their feet, ingrown yep. toner or corn or something. Um, and then, so I have to, I sit because, um, not because yeah, I could stand, but it's, it's awkward. And it also puts them at ease if I'm sitting down to some extent. Yep. But that means right. a lot of my, like the 20 minute patches I'm sitting from that seat to my desk, my standing desk is a beam and I walk on it every day, like back and, back and forward. That's and awesome. so the patient is sitting there and there's this beam. It's one of the new um, Tasmanian oak ones. It's a beautiful beam. Nice. <laughs> and, um, and I just, and, and my patients go, what's that for? Why have you got that piece of wood there? You know, <laughs> like, wow. I said, I'm glad you asked. I said, I'm glad you asked. You know? um, every step is, is a single leg balance and I want to get better at that. I don't want to lose the ability to do that. And I run and running is even more of a, a single leg balance on every step. And this way, without even trying, I am working on my body with every time I walk to that desk and back, you know. That's um, awesome. And, and so that's my latest. I, I would have answered that four times today. Um, but like you, it changes regularly. And sometimes I just can't, can't be bothered answering it in right. a constructive way because I might have answered it too many times. Or so I just for balance or just for me to stretch my calves on. Like I never lie, but sometimes I cut it short a little bit. Like, right. you know, because sometimes it is. I just stretch my calf on it, you know. Sometimes right. I go into great detail because the next day I'll put the beam so it's facing the other way and I have to balance like a ninja style on it or I'll use a ball instead of the beam. I just swap, swap it out all the time, exposing my body to different movement. And so the beam is good for that because it exposes you to different movement with so many different ways. And you can put it in a place that's just part of your life and you don't even realize you're using it because I probably beat myself up a little bit that I don't get on it for the 10 minutes a day. But if I saw like 15 people today and I I was on it for at least 10 minutes today. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's, Without and it, ha- yeah. it, it has to be fun. The minute it turns into work, it's shifted into a different realm. That's like not as enjoyable. And yeah. um, I love that you just kind of plop it in the, like, you know, I think James Clear is the one that said it, the environment is the invisible hand that shapes behavior. And I think if you just put it somewhere that it, it, it is part of your life without you having yeah. to go out of your way to use it, I think that's the optimal way of doing it. And if you could do it in a place where patients can see it, you know, humans yeah. are innately curious and I can definitely relate to, you know, sometimes just, I almost got to a point in clinic where I was like, just, just get on it, get on it. Don't look down, don't fall off. And I just stopped explaining because it's almost like whatever you try and explain, you're not going to do it justice compared to the experience of just trying it. And, and yeah. I always loved when older patients, like I was at my um, dad's place for dinner on Sunday and my my uh, brother's girlfriend's parents were there and I, w- I kind of busted out a beam and he was like, what is that? And I was like, just try it. And he was, he was, it was a beautiful uh, illustration of some of the information you can get because on one leg he could bounce for about 10 seconds. And on his other one, he couldn't even lift up his opposite foot. He couldn't even de-weight uh, his leg. And he was like, what is going on? Why can't I do this? 
And interestingly, he had a bunch of issues on that side, his low back and his hip on that side were really bugging him. So I'm like, well, it's telling you something. It's telling you that there's an imbalance. And, and it was beautiful because I didn't have to tell him he had a problem because I had no idea what was going on in his body. But he told himself through just like a simple self-assessment and he was laughing and he was like, why can't I do this? And then after dinner, I would look over and he wandered off and he's on the beam again. I was like, yes, this is exactly what it's for. Such is the state of disrepair of the human body though. What I find in clinic is that I don't even get the beam out for them to stand on because just balancing on one leg is a challenge for so many people. Just without the beam I'm talking about. Right, 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 right. And I think the beam is helpful then because if you get that up, then they have to move their hips and they have to use their whole body in a bit, in a different way. But some people are so challenged just even balancing on one foot and you hear it all the time. Oh no, I'm bad at balancing. If I'm bad at something, I don't, I don't go around telling everyone I'm bad at it. I think, oh, there's something. <laughs> <I can work." laughs> yeah, well, it's almost so, like um, people think that they're genetically like people bad, internalize bad. that label. Oh, I've always had bad balance. It's like, yes. yeah, cause you've never worked on it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. 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 It's very um, odd, but I think it has to be simple. And it's one of those things where I recently spoke to like a pretty high level strength conditioning coach and he was like, ah, oh, that looks like a waste of time. He's like, I, I got to give a more structure to, to my athletes. I was like, really? So you think that you like, we underestimate the innate intelligence of the body to sort of self-organize, like to just put it in an environment, and, and I just assume the body knows way more what to do and how to organize itself than anything I could ever tell it to do. Yeah. And I think it's almost like you have to have an innate belief that, that this inner intelligence of the body is there. Because if you think you know better than the body, and I think a lot of you know, super high-level strength conditioning coaches that work with professional or, or high-level sports organizations – have this mindset where they are the people who know about the body, who know what the body needs and, and how to strengthen it and how to, how to tell it to do everything. And conveniently enough, a lot of their athletes end up getting injured and it's, and you know, they, they don't like to take the blame for that, but they do like to take the credit for knowing that, the, that they're the ones that understand the body fully. And I think the play mindset and the understanding of the body has this super powerful innate intelligence all you have to do is create the environment conditions for that to be extracted and you could be made to look really good by doing really simple things by letting people play yeah and and just on that the body's ability to revert back to the way it's made to function is blowing me away in that you know if i suggest someone um, sit on the floor more than sitting in their chair just to help mobilize their hips within a week they're feeling so much better sometimes within a day they're feeling so much better just because they the body it's its default program to go back to the way it's made to move yes. and and play does that when you play your body just moves the way it's made to move but also with footwear like as much as there needs to be a transition to minimalist footwear or going barefoot it's amazing how quickly people get used to it because their body just goes, Oh, this is how I'm meant to be. It just happens over and over again that, that, that the foot and the rest of the body react by going, Oh, here I am. Like, Oh good. I'm functioning normally again. They've taken away that thing that stuffed me up for so long, you know? Right. It blows me away how quickly it happens. Um, how, and if you're making another change, like putting an orthotic in or changing to a different type of shoe, it doesn't happen so quickly because that's another false um, environment for the body. Yep. That's yeah. a great way of putting it. And I, you know, I've always, you know, 
once I kind of pushed through the, the brainwashing or programming that I had from physio school and realized like, I think I, my lived experience can be a more valid met metric for what is the truth? Like, what should I be giving people? Well, I'm going to try something. If it doesn't work, I'm not going to give it to people. Like if yeah. banded rotator cuff things don't help my shoulder, why the hell would I give it to patients just because they taught it to me in school? And I think one thing that I started to really understand was health is by subtraction, right? We're yes. so used to addition where you need to do this. You need to do this exercise, this mobility thing, this extra thing. And I think that's part of the, the low compliance is people don't need extra shit to do. Like we already have busy lives. We already have a limited amount of time, whether you're using that time well or not is another maybe debate. But, um, but when you talk about health by subtraction, like you improve your hip function by removing furniture, you improve your foot health by removing the obstacles that you see in footwear. And once you word it like that, people are like, Oh, I can do that. I can, you're telling me I can be better off by doing less. Yeah. Tell me more. And I think it's a, it's a good buy-in sometimes. And, and when you relate it back to the way you are made to function, and that's what I, I often do. I say, this is how the foot should land. And this is what the shoe is doing when it is landing, you know, and it's so, so far removed. And you, when you can relate it back to the way it's made to function, everyone understands that we haven't uh, ama amazingly um, changed our genetic, uh, you know, we ha what's the word? Um, we haven't, evolved in the last 200 years like our bodies haven't evolved in 200 years they've evolved over thousands of years and right. the changes that we've applied to them over the last 200 years are far greater than the the speed at which they would evolve and so going back to the way they're meant to move just makes sense it just makes complete sense and i think most people can understand that yeah exactly like our biology we have caveman biology still yes um and we have alien cultural evolution right now where we're yes. we're so separated from what our physiology is designed for and what we're actually doing just because the pace of cultural evolution and technological evolution has seriously outpaced our genetics and that's where you know and, and the the crazy thing is we just think more technology is the answer oh let's replace parts let's yeah. put you know drugs in our system and it's it's funny how none of that shit ever works very well and when you go back to just natural living and understanding what we're built to be doing and get closer yeah. to that. I'm not saying everyone has to go in the bush and live like a, you know, live like a caveman, but yeah. you can, you know, Tony Riddle says it well, you can live naturally in, in a, in a modern world, you in a city, in the heart of a city like Melbourne, you can live more naturally. You can use some of those principles in your life. Um, and that's, you know, like you can't exercise away decades of sitting you have to change the way you live your life and align it with your with your biology and then and then like you said it's amazing how quickly the body adapts yeah because it's its default setting that's what it's made to do when you came out when you're a baby and when you were two three four five years old you're still doing those default settings to a far greater degree than when you're a teenager or when you're in your 20s or 30s and so yeah. you know um but they are the default setting so yeah. And I, you know, the analogy I always give people is like over the course of your life, you've essentially taken on all these viruses into your software and literally by, by living more naturally, by eating real food, spending more time on the floor, getting out of these built up shoes, every single minute you're doing those things, you're essentially debugging the system. It's like an antivirus that's going in and it's taking away all the shit that got layered on and getting you back to this um, more primitive software, which is actually what, what permits health. Um, 
and people innately understand that. I think it's weird how when you make technology analogies, hardware, software, yes. you know, antivirus, people are like, oh, I get that. But when you try to explain it in like basic physiology, they're like, no, nah, I, don't, I don't know what you're saying. Yeah. And I think what else confuses people is that some people are fine or seem fine and they're doing just fine, but others are far more um, likely to get injured or are sore because of the, the bad stuff, you know, the bad shoes or, or, or people are more likely to get diseases. So I think that's what confuses people. They're like, Oh, why? But everyone else is doing this. Why can't I do this? You know? So, um, but that's just, you know, human variability as well. Yeah. And I think the fallacy of no pain, no problem is a really prominent one where if something doesn't hurt, something doesn't hurt, you assume that it's okay. And we look at pain, which is an immensely lagging indicator of problems uh, instead of function, right? Like if you can't do a squat, but you think everything's okay, you have to look at the squat as the indicator that you need to work on something, not the hip or back pain or knee pain. Um, And I think we like culturally, we simply don't deal with issues until it's an issue. And by then it's like, well, you could have dealt with this a long time ago and avoided the issue. But our our medical system is so reactive. um, And that's what just culturally what we're what we're told is the norm, you deal with the problem when there is a problem. And, and I think we've just also disconnected from the internal signals that would hint to us to start working on things like people don't pay attention to little niggles or little bits of pain or the sense of anxiety or whatever it is, we just learn to distract away from that, whether that's with drugs or with, you know, looking at things, you know, eating sugary foods or looking at Instagram. There's so many distractions that it's really easy to not pay attention to things until they become a significant problem. And, and so it's, you know, I think we just need, we need to dig deeper into like having people understand that they can, that they can fix things so that they never become a problem. Yeah, it's that asymptomatic dysfunction, isn't it? I think you told yes. me that term, where some, someone is not functioning properly but not showing any symptoms of it right. in the pain sense or even in the movement sense sometimes. But I see it when I see a shoe that is tapered at the toe, got a heel, cushioning and stiff, the foot cannot function properly in right. that shoe. So therefore it is dysfunctional, yet most of the population are out there in that shoe and they're asymptomatic. They're not showing symptoms of it. Um, and so this is the body's great ability to, to deal with um, bad stuff as well. You know, like if you have a, a heroin addict, it is normal to have heroin, you know, whereas if I have the same amount of heroin, uh, my body's going to, I'll probably die, you know? And right. so, um, but, or someone that overeats and it becomes then normal to have that much food. Whereas if I had that much food in one day, I, you know, I'd have a real stomach upset. Our body's amazingly good at getting used to certain um, like bad, like yeah, negative, negative things and just making it the normal. It just becomes the normal. And, and that doesn't mean it's a good thing. It just means it's good at, at hiding the problems until they become a problem. Right. Yeah. And I, part of me wishes the body was less resilient because we would pay attention to shit way sooner. Yeah. The best people people for me to work with, and this is what are coming out of the woodwork to see me now are those that are in touch with their body and they, they are so um, in touch with it that they can feel changes and they they can report those changes back to me. And, and this model of foot care, if that's what you want to call it, or 
going back to the way you should function really suits people like that because they can pick up the little things and know exactly which way to turn. And my job's to help facilitate them on that path, I guess. Right. Yeah. You're more of a guide instead of a mechanic or a fixer. And yeah. That, that is such a frame shift in the way health professionals are trained in the mentality that you have when you come out of school. Um, you know, we're basically programmed to think that the body is innately flawed and we are there to fix it. And it's yeah. such a bullshit um, yeah. premise, right? Like it's, yeah. it's so crazy. Um, so my first consultation is all about education. At the end of it, I often say, well, now you're, ed- I don't say you're educated, but now you have the tools to look after yourself. I want to be a reference for you as you go on this journey. You know, just if you need to come and see me for something big, do that. But if you just need to check in to find out if you're doing this exercise right, or if this is the right way to progress on wearing those shoes, then just check in and, and but just listen to your body along the way. And people are amazed. Oh, you don't need another consultation. I'm like, yeah, I'm not saying we don't need another one, but we're not going to book one. Let's just see how it goes. Let's just see how your body responds and right. you be the judge as to whether you need to come and see me again. And yeah, you know, yeah. And, and, and in a way I feel a bit irresponsible because it's so built into it. <laughs> to be the practitioner and when someone comes to see you it's then your responsibility and now i'm just giving it back to them but i'm giving it back to them with a whole lot of information so that they know how to read the signs read the symptoms and um, look after themselves basically yeah and i think that's some of the stress we take on as health professionals is that if you're taking on the responsibility for someone's health, but they are not, they don't even have a basic enough understanding to take that responsibility themselves to take care of their bodies. It's really stressful because shit constantly breaks down. You want to do good by this person. You want to help them, but they're not even helping themselves. And there's this disconnect where you're constantly seeing repeat same issues because they haven't been given the awareness to even do the right things with their bodies on their own. And I think that's where, you know, I know a lot of health professionals that are just, that are actually getting sick and stressed and aren't, don't enjoy going to work because they're just overwhelmed. And it, it's sad because the most well-intentioned, hardworking people are oftentimes the people who break down first because they care the most. They want to do the most, but they're simply not equipped to be able to play the right role in order to make true changes with people. Because only the person can make themselves healthy. If you think you're there to make people healthy, you're going to have a really rough time in your career. 100%. And uh, I found that for sure because, you know, I see some, someone because they've got a corn on their little toe every six weeks and every six weeks they say, why does this keep coming? And I say, it's because of your shoes. And then they come back in six weeks time and the same thing happens again over and over again for, <laughs> year, for years, for years. So now I've just got a bit more ruthless and I'm like, this is your shoes. I don't, like, I, this is the answer. I've given you the answer. And if you keep coming, like I'm happy to see you every six weeks, but this is not going to go away. I just tell them the way it is. It's your responsibility to change your shoes and then this problem will go away. Um, because uh, I did take it on board too much and I get stressed about seeing someone when they come back. But uh, now I don't. I just think, well, I've equipped them with the information um, to sort themselves out. And if they don't make the most of that, then I, it's off my hands basically. Right. Yeah. And I, it sounds a bit callous or ruthless, but I think, um, but I don't think it is, you know, I, my perspective might be skewed because I, you know, when I was practicing regularly, I was, I was known as the really blunt physio and I, I was, you know, I was respectful. I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings, but I also wouldn't bullshit people. I would tell them like it is because that's how I would have wanted to be told. Right. Um, 
And sometimes that's self-selected for people who resonated with that style of treatment, right? And yes. sometimes <laughs> I, I had to fire patients and sometimes people stopped seeing me. And I was yeah. okay with that because I just told people, like, if you want to come here and get a feel-good massage every week, you need to go see this person because they would love yeah. to do that. They'll chat with you. Uh, you know, I, I want to help you get rid of this problem. I want to make it so that you don't have to come see me. And if that doesn't resonate with you, or if me telling you the changes you need to make are hurting your feelings, um, then maybe I'm not the right person to help you. But, I, you know, if you want to get better, I'm your person. I yeah. want to help you understand it. But if, if you plan to continue coming to physio because you enjoy taking an hour off work every two weeks to come to physio, this is not the right, this is, I'm not the right person to see. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah. I also, what do you think? So I've started to kind of think about this whole concept where, okay, the body adapts very quickly and very precisely to what we expose it to. And this concept of all adaptations are positive, right? So the adaptation of, I'll give you some, an example, the adaptation of your hip locking up because you put it in one position for long periods of time, namely sitting, that is a positive adaptation. There are no such things as negative adaptations with the body. It is simply taking the instructions you give it yes. and creating an adaptation to facilitate more efficiency with those instructions, right? Yeah, People always say like, and we, if we just look at it from the perspective that all adaptations are based on the information we give the body, that's yeah. a big perspective shift because there's no bad adaptations. There's no bad things. It's simply, you know, if anything, you're not using your body in a way that provides the right adaptation that you want. It is not your body's fault. It's your, you're the one giving the instructions to it. Yeah. Like I'm sitting in 1990 now and I'm really comfortable one way, but not the other. So that's just my body adapting because I always sit in that one way rather than the other way. There you go. And, and I've never thought of it like that. That's quite good, Nick. And, and also the, with the sitting one, your body is always, or with any of it, your body's always going to find the easiest way because we innately are trying to save energy. Right. We're trying to um, store store energy so that we can use it if we don't get fed basically um yep. you know if you go back to the way our bodies are made and so we're always going to go to a to an easier way to do it so if you sit a lot and your body gets and your hip flexors get tight and you and you can slump your body will let you do it and it and it's an effective way to sit isn't it mm -hmm. yeah it's yeah. all they're all positive yeah. like your kyphosis positive. Your yeah. hips getting tight. These are all positive adaptations to the instructions you've given your body. Yeah. Um, Maybe not positive for other movements or other right. issues. They're positive to the instructions you've given it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, the body is indifferent. It doesn't give a shit that you want to run. It's still going to tighten your hips because if that's the instructions you're giving it the majority of the time, that is yeah. the most salient information for it to use, right? If you yeah. sit for eight hours and you run for 30 minutes, well, guess what? You're giving 16 times more information to be good at sitting than you are to be good at running. And so it doesn't give a shit that your back hurts when you run, you've given it the wrong set of instructions. And I think people self deprecate and look down at their body as, Oh, this friggin' body, this friggin' knee, this, you know, it's like you need to, if you have a negative self image of your body, it's no wonder it's going to give you pain everywhere. Right. Yeah. And it's just, it's basically, we should be focusing more on the behaviors and not on, on what we perceive to be this flawed body, right? Like even the notion that, oh yeah, you're going to get arthritis when you're 50 and you're going to have less cartilage on your knee. And like, there's all these assumptions that we've been fed by the medical community that are such bullshit. 
Um, well, they're and the norms it, now, aren't they? They're the norms. It's normal to have a have your knee scraped out at fifty five. Right. Um, and and so the, when when it happens, you're like, oh, that's what normally happens. That's what's happened to so and so. It just becomes the norm, instead of being active and able at seventy. You know. <laughs> Right. It's, and it's interesting that image that you talked about of um, your body's health. I'm finding that, but people come to coming to me saying they're almost embarrassed by their feet or they're dis- disappointed with the way they function, that there's a negative connotation to the shape of their feet or the way they look. And, and that they, I think it's come from self-talk and also from other practitioners saying, oh, you've got yep. this problem. And so it builds up this. So it's all about the language you speak to people as well. If I, I, I explain to them how brilliant the foot is at being that mobile adapter and um, and a rigid lever and all, how just how how amazing the foot is and that their foot is doing these things really well and the confidence that comes from thinking that their foot is functioning well is just the first stepping stone. It's a huge um, aspect to looking after themselves because they understand how it should work. It, it's amazing. I haven't actually thought about it, but that negative connotation for your body type and body is such a powerful effect on how it functions, I'm sure. Oh, it's huge. And I, I really, you know, I always try to emphasize all health professionals are doing the best they can with what they've got. Yes. But I really think that we've medicalized so many problems to the point where people literally feel like failures, right? Like someone who's overweight um, feels like a failure because they're like, ah, I can't believe I'm still overweight. I can't lose weight. I, I don't have the discipline or I have a character flaw. What, they, what I think needs to be out there in the common lingo is that it is not your fault. You are doing the best you can with the information you've been given. If you've been given the wrong information by the people who are supposed to know, but were also given the wrong information, yeah. right? Like, like losing weight, if you're obese, the solution is not move more, ex- move more and eat less. It's change your lifestyle, change the type of foods you eat, change just and we architect the way you live your life in a way that brings you to a more natural state because being seriously overweight is unnatural. And so you got to tease out the unnatural things you're doing in your life, namely the, the food that you're eating and, and what that food is actually made of. Um, and, you know, with better information, people are all of a sudden equipped to make better decisions. People all of a sudden start to see significant progress. And so a lot of people's self-blame is actually just they haven't been given the tools to take responsibility. And that's really the heartbreaking stuff where you see someone that's literally created an identity for themselves as a failure. Oh, my knee is, I'm not doing the right things for my knee. I should be mobilizing this or I shouldn't be doing this. And it's like, well, actually, let's take a broad view of this and see like, you know, what do you want to, what are your goals? What do you want to accomplish? And what does your life look like? And what are the little things in your life that we can start to chip away at and build, you know, better habits that last forever instead of just doing the knee pain diet where it's like, oh yeah, I do shit for two weeks and then, and then it's all good. It's like, well, you might be out of pain, but I don't know if we've solved the problem in two weeks because you've had knee pain for two years. So it's really just giving responsibility back to people and also giving them empowering information using language that says you have an amazing resilient adaptable body i don't care how messed up you are how overweight you are how injured you are how old you are and just that knowing that you are like authentically saying that because you believe in it and you see it to be true that the body is an amazing machine that can adapt to what you expose it to that gives people immense hope where they're like okay where do i start and that is a very 
beautiful moment where, where you can shift someone's perspective on their own body image or their own feeling of uh, autonomy, that they can actually make changes. Because I think until now, we're just putting band-aids over shit so much and, and putting labels on people that of course they're going to get demotivated and, and just almost, it's almost depressing when you're injured and in pain all the time and you have no sense that you can control and, and, and change that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. But it's a big opportunity, um, right? There's a lot of opportunities out there to help people way more than we are right now. And I think that's where, you know, of all the doom and gloom of how shitty we're doing things right now, there's huge hope to just change things by giving people back control. And that's, that's really powerful. Yeah. That, that's what I'm enjoying doing. Just educating people so that they let their bodies do what it's made to do. Basically. Right. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Now let's talk a little bit. I'd love to hear your thoughts about, or, um, you know, have you sh- share thoughts on what kind of education do you get about footwear in podiatry school? Cause I think, uh, you know, I'm of the mind that, virtually all foot problems are, are actually footwear problems that show up as foot problems. Um, how much education or, or uh, information do you get about footwear in podiatry school? You get a lot. You get the basic, um, you, oh, that doesn't make sense, but you get, <laughs> you get a lot, but the basic, the, you get how the foot, um, like the different parts of the foot of, of the, of the shoe, I should say. Um, you get, that some emotion control. So, and I think it'd be more now because in the past, when I was at unions like 20 years ago, it was like pretty stock standard, the athletic shoes. And that, although they're always coming out every six months with the latest thing, and we're seeing that even more so now to sell the latest shoes, some, the next gimmick. Um, but they'll still talk about, you know, how much drop a shoe has. They'll talk about how much um, the, the density of the midsole, they talk about the heel, the how, how firm the heel counter is, um, whether it's got laces. They talk about they don't really talk about the taper of the toes, but never nothing in relation to how the foot should function. Like this is what I, and maybe I've forgotten, but I'm pretty sure we didn't go. <laughs> we talked a lot about foot function, but we didn't talk about how the shoe affects that natural foot function. And we still, as podiatrists, watch. Um, people walk barefooted up and down your hallway or on the treadmill. And then we make a diagnosis or, or talk about their gait and then put them in a shoe that changes that totally. You know, it's, it's, um, it's new to me over the last few years that when you have a big heel so far away from the actual foot, it just increases that lever arm to roll the foot in, to pronate the foot that um, you're on a hiding to nothing. That person is going to be, Firstly, overstriding because of the big heel, you know, because they can jam down on their cushioned heel. And right. secondly, probably staying rolled in or staying pronated for far too long because it happens so quickly. And then staying that way because their big toes pushed out of the way because of the tapered toe as well. Like, and to go back to um, how we're letting people, or explaining to people that it's not their body's fault, that their body's totally good at functioning. This is what I say now that, you know, their foot, without the shoe is functioning well. But when you add that shoe to that foot type, then this whole lot of stuff is going on. And so that's why we have to remove the shoe that's causing the issue. Yeah. And so at uni, that's a foreign concept. It's all about what, okay, they're walking like this barefoot and then they're in this shoe. Okay. What do we change? How can we change the way they're moving? And And that's not with taking stuff away. It's mostly by adding something and that's in the form of an orthotic. Um, that, and I think there may be some more exercise prescription these days, or, but there's not, 
okay, let's sit less so that we can change what the hips are doing or let's work on hip mobility or, or let's work on um, big toe joint mobility or ankle. They do talk a little bit about ankle mobility, like calf stretches have been around forever. But if you don't have a heel on your shoe, you probably don't need to stretch your calf so much. Um, <laughs> every, step you know, is like, a, every step is a calf stretch. That's right. And so the, the, what that we learn at uni is all about adding something. And it's a, it's a profession. It's a job. And it's, I think, a profession that came out of the 1960s, 1970s um, running, the, the biomechanics side of it came out of the 1960s, 1970s running boom and the problems that came out of that, which was, you know, a whole lot of people needing orthotics was they're running without the correct technique and, without, and with sedentary bodies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, so, a, that's a recipe yeah. for disaster. Yeah. And the profession is basically built from there, from that point on, like late, late sixties, early seventies. And I mean, podiatrists are always getting rid of ingrown toenails and corns and stuff for years, but even that's gone to a hyper level because of um, shitty shoes. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's so it's almost, it's the elephant in the room where it's, you know, like I said, unless you take the, unless you have the deeper core mindset that the body is not supposed to have all these problems, like we're not naturally, we're not supposed to get ingrown toenails. We're not supposed to get corns. Um, Unless you take the mindset that we're not supposed to have those, there's no reason to find out why they're happening and eliminate the root cause, right? They're just things. Yeah. The human body gets corns. The human body gets uh, ingrown toenails. And I think that's part of this almost programming in school where, you're taught how to fix a problem. So you're not actually shown that the problem is preventable because your, your, your job is to fix problems, right? You don't want to put yourself out of business, but I think, um, you know, I had it written down to sort of chat about, um, natural podiatry and your shift in the business model. But I, I, I really think that we should save that for a different episode. I want to be respectful of your time. We've somehow already been going for an hour. So maybe we'll kind of wrap this up and then you and me can sort of make a plan to, um, you know, make a topic plan to, to, to do its own show of like a series of episodes that are all about, you know, we'll do one about orthotics because it's not a black and white thing. It's a, there's gray in the middle and we can sort of unpack the nuance. Um, and also just the shift to natural podiatry and what that business model looks like, because it's not, um, it's different, but it is, I really think that you can impact people's health way more. And you can also have a solid, Uh, business model in terms of generating revenue, right? Because you could like health is profitable. Just no one's sort of figured it out yet, right? Disease is so profitable right now that it's almost people don't really think it's worth trying to figure out how health is profitable. But I think, you know, if we make, uh, if we make it our mission on a couple episodes to by the end show that health, natural podiatry and, and is profitable and that people are willing to pay for health, um, I think if we make that case, there'll be a lot more podiatrists out there interested in switching to, to that approach. Um, and, and I think you sharing your experience of what you went through to do that and, you know, sharing some insights of what you would have done differently or things that really helped make that transition, I think would be very uh, empowering for, you know, the next generation of podiatrists to just see that there is a different way. And this way is very, um, very potent in terms of helping people reconnect with their health. So, yeah, and I'm still learning. So if it starts the conversation, then uh, that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And if we can even create, uh, you know, the beauty about Slack is it's almost it, like 
the way we're using it until you reach a certain threshold of, of people, it's free. And if you, you know, you could even create the Aussie podiatrist Slack group. And, um, you know, I, th I think that I've been thinking about this where a way to basically, cause if you're mentoring someone, if you're spending time helping someone, um, you know, getting paid for your time is simply the way that we communicate value, right? If a podiatrist is coming to you and saying, Andy, I'd love an hour of your time to just pick your brain about what you're doing. Uh, you're, you're such a nice guy that I don't, that you probably do that without looking for any compensation. The problem is, is what if a thousand podiatrists are saying that to yeah. you, right? It's like you have to systematize the value transfer where you can, you know, help many people and they can all contribute a little bit of value to making sure it's worth your time. And I think almost creating like a natural podiatry community and having its own sort of content that can, that they can go through, but also having similar to what we have with the footner program where um, there's a group of people that can talk to each other and share their research and share their struggles and all that kind of stuff. So next time I'm in Melbourne, I think we'll have a lot to chat about because I think yourself and Ray and some of the other podiatrists in the foot nerd community, I think yeah. there's almost this separate project that can be worked on. That is the natural foot health Academy where there's an outlet for people who want to learn more. And there's almost like a, a pathway where, okay, well, if all you want to do is just interact and, and interact with other people, then it's X amount of like a hundred bucks and you basically get access to this community and it helps cover the overhead expenses and the people who are doing the, the primary mentorship but yeah. um, I think there's a big opportunity there. So I'm excited to chat about it. Yeah, that sounds great. So to close out Nerd Talk episodes, we always talk about, um, well, I always ask a few questions. So the first one is, what are some of your, uh, personally, some keystone habits? And keystone habits are essentially crucial daily habits that have almost like a multiplier effect on your life. So that are really, really important because they just improve all of the other habits you do or all the other um, you know, they have like a significant effect on your life. Do you have any keystone habits that come to mind? Well, I walk every day, my dogs. Um, that, so that's uh, phys both physical. So if I don't get around to moving in any other way, I've always been walking. And nice. uh, sometimes that's for like half an hour, but a lot of the time it's for two hours or more. And nice. uh, my dogs, I've got two dogs now, and they um, keep me at that because it's a non-negotiable for them. <laughs> and, um, and also I never have my phone in that time. I am just me or sometimes it's with my, with my wife or my um, son or daughter. And so that's special time then as well, but often it's just myself. And so that's my um, time out for my head as well. Like that's my meditation. I call it my meditation. Yeah. And I think that's... Um, without sitting down cross-legged and still for 20 minutes or whatever, it's <laughs> um, being, I'm not having a go at that. I'm just saying that's the way I, I do that for sure. Yeah. Um, so that is a key for me. I think that's probably all like, otherwise I try and vary it hugely. Like what, what I do um, for myself because uh, I am so used to getting into routines that become unhealthy. Right. <laughs> <because> <laughs> I get a bit, a bit obsessed by things. And so totally I try right. not to have, I try not to even goal set these days because then I get disappointed if I don't achieve the goal. And I, so I, I really do um, just try and keep things changing, you know? And I, I, set, I guess I set myself daily tasks to do and I do them most of the time, but I don't beat myself up anymore if I don't, because, you know, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. That's a great keystone habit. Cause it is, I mean, you're, you're hitting, you're checking off a lot of boxes there, right? You're moving, yeah. you're disconnecting from technology. You're having some time to yourself. Um, and that's, 
you know, it's nice to have doggos that keep you accountable on that because they, they'll let you know if, when they, if you're not taking them for a walk. And I think there's almost like a, uh, an automatic sense of accountability where I, I have these animals as pets. So it's my duty to make sure that they're going out there and exercising. And it's, it's funny you, I remember, I think it was you saying that I need to treat myself more like I treat my kids or my dogs because, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you focus on feeding them good food and making sure they're yeah. getting good sleep. And we oftentimes don't take the same mentality to our own behaviors. And it's just funny yeah. how that, that can be a well, powerful I them, analogy. I, I treat them like athletes and um, it's so much easier with them than it is with myself. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I think I used to always, um, like when I was cycling a lot, I was a very keen cyclist. I'd try and get 300K done on the weekend and another and another at least two to 300 done during the week, Monday to Friday. Wow. And um, then, it, then I had to stop cycling because I had a head injury. And um, I walked to a yoga class, moved for an hour and then walked back again, maybe half an hour walk each way. And I felt totally satisfied. And I'm like, wow, what a shift, what a change where I'm satisfied to walk to a yoga class and walk home. And then, and I feel like I've moved, you know, um, and I wouldn't have sat on the couch the rest of the day, but I didn't feel like I had to go training or doing something specific. Like I might've been gardening or playing with my kids the rest of the day. I'm still moving, but I'm, it doesn't, exercise doesn't have to be a prescription. It can just be part of life. And I know having the dogs and I don't ever go, Oh, I'm going for a walk for exercise. I do it purely for the dog's sake. But then when I'm out there, I'm like, ah, oh, I'm in my space. I love that space with them and me just out there, you know? So, Amazing. Um, yeah. How, how's the new puppy? Cause now Gypsy has a friend, right? Yeah. Gypsy and Kira is nearly 10 months old. Um, nice. She's amazing. Yeah, it's like, I wonder if it's nurture or nature and this is with humans as well, I guess. Um, but we got her when she's four and a half months old and it's like she was in heaven for those first four and a half months or something. Cause she's the best, so well behaved and the most loving little dog. And you're like, wow, if she's a rest, I wish everyone's rescue dog could be like this. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so uh, next question, is there any particular habit or behavior that you're trying to uninstall right now? Uh, yeah, I stay up too late and I probably look at, <laughs> <laughs> look at social media a little too much later. So I've got a mate who I'm, um, we'll get, we're going to be keeping each other accountable about that. Maybe. But our accountability for accountability is set <laughs> off. <laughs> nice. nice. But I think awareness, awareness is the first step, right? Like if you're, uh, I asked that question knowing full well that, you know, I know with myself, if I'm aware of something, I know it's in my brain deep in there somewhere and I'm going to be unconsciously sort of aware of it and working on it. It doesn't mean that I'm accomplishing it every single day, but I think awareness is the first key. And, most of the times the habits that people don't mention are the ones they're not changing that they might need to be changing. So I think the fact that you're aware uh, of the, you know, going to bed late and, and spending more yeah. time on social media, that is the start. So uh, good on you. And the other one is, which I'm finding it, you know, we, our bodies are experiment 101. I've got a little Achilles thing that keeps flaring up and I, and I just keep running and I'm like, oh, should I be still running? And I'm just toying with different <laughs> ways of treating it. And I, I beat myself up because I love going for a run and I think, oh, this is going to flare my Achilles up and what would my patients do? And so that's something I'm working on, how, how I react to myself as, as the patient, as the client. Nice. What would yeah. I be saying to myself, which is and great. I, and I think the mindset of just playing with injuries, like just having fun with it and being like, oh, I wonder, I wonder if this is bugging you or I wonder if I try this, you know, it's like, it doesn't have to be this militant thing. It's just, you know, just go with the flow. And some days you're going to get really sore because you pushed it too hard and, and that's okay too. That's a, that's yeah. some sort of data for your experiment. Um, yeah. And yeah, that's, 
oftentimes you figure shit out that, you know, figure really complex things out by just taking a playful mindset to it and then making connections. Um, I think that's a very, you know, people don't feel empowered enough to do their own experiments. I think this is a trend that I saw in the clinic where you're almost, there's a fine line, right? Between building a dependent relationship where they have to come to you to ask you what's going on versus just feeling themselves that they can do experiments and that actually flaring things up is part of the experimental process. And that's okay. As long as you learn from it and make good use of it in future. And I know my um, clients are successful. I've successfully treated them when they come to me and say, this happened, or they might send me a message saying, I'm sore, but it's because I did this yesterday. And I'm like, yes, there it is. You know? There you go. Um, yeah. And that's when I'm like, oh, good. They're, they're in touch with what's going on. Nice. And then last question before we kind of close off is, you know, we did that defining healthy project and, you know, I think everyone defines health uh, in a different way. So someone said, Andy, what, you know, what's your definition of health or being healthy? Uh, I would say to sleep well, however long that might be for different people, to uh, eat well. And that's um, sometimes to extremes of some things and not to others, but balanced, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, to, to have either friends or family that you can, can be community with. And I know when I was cycling, I definitely put my family on the back burner, which I really miss. Luckily, my kids are 11 and 13 now. No, very young then, but I really miss it, especially when I see other kids that are four or five. And I think, wow, I miss that time of their lives. Um, so that's been a big thing for my health, to spend time with them. Like, I just really prioritise that. Um, or fa- and other members of family or community, like the Foot Nerd guys or other barefoot people that I really appreciate spending time with. That's big on the health front and to, to be able to move. And that doesn't mean to be able to, like I see some, like the Ninja, one of the Ninja TV shows is on at the moment. There's no way I can do that stuff. Um, but just to be able to move in a way that's useful to, um, to my daily life and to other people around me's daily life, you know, like when the neighbor needs me to help him lift something, I can go and confidently do it. And that means that is healthy to me where I can just go and do stuff without worrying that my body's going to let me down. And it's not fancy stuff. It's just daily useful stuff. And that's yeah. um, my exercise goal these days to, um, to be useful. I think. <laughs> nice. I think that's yeah. a great, that that's a great boxes, goal. I think. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, yeah, that's a great definition of health. Cause essentially you kind of went through the list of the pillars of health and just yeah. mentioned yeah. points of how to have a good relationship with that pillar. And, uh, yeah, it's always interesting to hear people's definition of health because everyone's, like I said, everyone, there's a lot of, personal individual differences but there's also a lot of deeper threads that are are shared by a lot of people they use different language to express it but um i think the freedom to do what you want to do and to help others like you said or just to to not be afraid of doing something because you're not sure if your body will handle it i think that's a big part of health is just having uh movement freedom or have yeah movement freedom i think is a big thread for a lot of people so and the balanced approach i really love because it means you like it, it, it doesn't have to be a, a Spartan lifestyle, you know, it's about, <laughs> it's about having fun and enjoying yourself yeah. and knowing sometimes that's going to have repercussions, but it was fun while you did it. You didn't do it every day, but um, knowing your body well enough that you're going to be okay, you know, like you're not going to beat yourself up about it. So it's yeah. about that balance. Health is a real balance for me. Yeah. And that's coming I, from a place where I've been unbalanced in the past. And so I understand, I think because I've been, out of balance that um and even the word balance i don't like because 
it suggests you're going to fall off at some point. So I'm more harmonious. <laughs> oh, that's a good, yeah. Equilibrium, harmonious. Because yeah. the other thing I find balance insinuates is, is equal, right? Like, and sometimes yeah. the teeter-totter, your sense of balance might not be an equal distribution of something, right? Like I think people say, oh, work-life balance insinuates the fact that work and life have to be exactly 50-50 when in reality, whatever equilibrium you're comfortable with is your reflection of balance. It's not a perfect weight distribution, you know, yeah. and sometimes falling, I think falling off sometimes is part of balance, right? Like you got to, you got to understand when you get far enough out of balance in order to get a better calibration of what balance is. Um, yes. So, well, Andy, thank you for giving us some of your time today. I really appreciate it. I think that was a pretty insightful conversation. Um, and, and we covered a lot of stuff at a general level, but, um, I'm really looking forward to doing a more foot centric, um, you know, some foot centric episodes, you know, whether it's once a month, we'll chat about what the best schedule for that is. And um, I'll let you come up with the name for the show. But I think, like you said, we've kind of branched out into health, but I think we're still, we're still foot nerds at heart. And I think it would be, it's nice to reconnect with the roots and just get back dig back into feet because, you know, we're all constantly learning. And I think what we, you know, there's a lot of, stuff that hasn't really changed like these fundamental principles that spending time barefoot is good natural footwear is better for your foot but at the same time i've sort of realized that the more i've learned the more simple my mindset has become right like the more complex shit you learn the more it makes more it makes you realize that you can explain the simple things in a much better way um and so uh yeah i'm excited to dig into that and the podiatry industry and your transition in practice so Stay, uh, stay tuned for that, folks. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed that episode, and we'll catch you next week.